You guys are awake today. Amen. So is today, is, is this weekend considered July 4th weekend or is it the following? <laughs> so it's like, it falls right on Wednesday, so it could be either or, I guess. I don't know, but my family and I, we just got back from vacation. We were gone June 22nd through June 29th. We went from a Friday to a Friday. It was one of the best vacations I've had, man, in a long time. It's really cool. We were up in the Poconos. We were up at Arrowhead Lake. My aunt and uncle owned property up there. And about five or six years ago, Adam and his family, and, and who's at church camp, and Heather's at church camp, and Morgan's at church camp, and Deanna's away now still on vacation. So Joe and I, man, we're just tightening it up. We are getting it done, and it's good. Hey, guys, awesome job on that last song, by the way, man. You guys responded. That was a new song. You never sang that before, man. And like, man, I had my bass groove going, man. I was stomping. I was like... If I'm doing that, you know what I'm feeling. That's not even my first instrument. So, like, to be able to do that, it takes, like, Heather was always like, how do you think the worship went? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just focusing on the notes. I don't know. Put me in the drums. I'll be fine. But we went away June 22nd through June 29th. About five or six years ago, Adam and his family and I and Nicole and our kids, we started going there, and it's beautiful. But it was one of those weeks, I'm sure you guys have had this before, where it's like the, wa- the, the temperature in the water is warmer than the temperature outside. And you're doing it for your kids, man. Like, that's the only reason why you're in there. If it was up to you, you wouldn't be in that pool. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because the moment you get out, it's like shiver city, you know? Because all of a sudden, it's like the air outside is worse than the air or the temperature that's in the water. But I, uh, you know the story about Timothy and Silas when they're in prison and they're singing and the jail, like, doors swing open and jailers get converted? You guys know that story? I found where that prison is. It's called the Crayola Experience. (laughs) It's a real place. (laughs) And my mother-in-law is here in the front row, Nicole's mom, and, and it was her idea, and I love it. She wanted to go, and I thought it was a good idea to break up the monotony, and it was the last day that we were there, and I don't know if you guys know this. You probably, like, on stage, I seem very extroverted. I'm a very introverted person. I'm very okay being alone and being with God and, and listening and hearing what God is saying in time and a season. And I am really okay with that, having one or two close friends. And I don't need to be known by everybody or liked by every single person. But when you're in that place, and there's like four or five floors, and you're standing in line longer than you would like at an amusement park just to do simple things with crayons, I was like saying Jesus over and over again in my head, and it actually works. <laughs> My mother-in-law said, you're doing really well. I said, it's because I keep saying Jesus in my head. And I wasn't kidding. I kept saying it over and over and over again. There must have been four or five different summer camps that were there that day. They all decided to go that day. So it was just, it was just a madhouse. But the kids had fun. And it was one of those things where, honestly, guys, like, it's, it's good for ev- all of us. I mean, I'm, I'm home with my kids in the evening, but it's, it's not the same when you actually completely unplug from a place. It's really important that you guys do that. Really is it that you find time to actually be with family and invest in family. Family was God's idea first before church. God puts lonely people in families. God's a father to the orphanless. The orphan, not the orphanless, the orphan. If they're orphanless, they don't need a father, they have one. But it was an awesome time. And, and it was fun, and it was one of the best vacations that I had in a while, and it was full of just rest, and it was good. So Heather is not here, but she actually took it upon herself to record her playing keys and gave it to me so I can play it, even though she's not here. 
How cool is that, man? It is awesome. Thanks, Jason. So we're going to see if this actually works. We're going to cue it up and play it. So it says on your bulletin, I hit play, Mike, and hopefully it'll come through and we'll see how it goes. The Bluetooth is connected. It says on your bulletin, do not worry. We're not going to talk about that today. Oh, somebody was excited for that. Somebody's <laughs> like, oh, man. If, if you want to, if you want, like if you were looking forward to that, that sermon, then I would encourage you, please, take it upon yourself. Read Matthew 6, because that's what I was going to actually speak out of. But, and I don't, I don't say this by way of like being arrogant or rebellious or, there it is. I had to unmute my computer. The Holy Spirit just reminded me. Oh, come on, man. I love it. So, I don't, I don't say this to be like rebellious or, or to be arrogant in any way, but it's, it is hard to just, Joe said, what's your title for your sermon this week? That's hard for me. Because it can change in a moment. It can change like the moment I get up and, and start speaking, God can completely give me a different message. And what I'm going to share with you today, I've never shared this before with anybody. I'm not an expert on it. I don't even know if what I'm talking about is completely right. I'm just being, wow, I'm just being honest. But there's, there's certain things like, the Bible talks about this idea in 2 Corinthians 3 that you and I go from glory to glory. And we want that. And one of the reasons that happens is because our face is unveiled. We're not under the law anymore. What the law couldn't do, weak as it was in the flesh, Jesus did on our behalf. So our righteousness is not based on what I do or what I don't do, following lists of rules and do's and don'ts. Are you not thankful for that? See, I, to be honest with you, I don't think you and I fully understand grace the way a Jew would. I don't think you can fully understand grace without understanding wrath. Forgive me, that's my computer. It's just letting me know that I have text messages. Oh my, you know what's good? And I know you're watching, this is your fault, all you staff members that were texting during the live stream, texting me about my pants and like everything else, they were like, that's what happens when your pastor's not here, that's what he's doing, he's wanting to know where my hat was and everything else that I wore the other day. That's Adam, that's Heather probably, that's probably Morgan, who knows, Deanne, who knows, it's their fault. Yeah, I know where I'm at. I, I'm thankful. I mean, we're, we're sitting here. July 4th is, is, is Wednesday. I'm, I am thankful for our country's freedom. Please, please don't misunderstand that. But I am more thankful for my freedom in Christ. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's one of the reasons why Jesus came. And I want to preach to you today about an aspect of the gospel I've never preached on before. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't even know if I have it. But I feel very emotional inside, and, it's, and if it's available, then I definitely want it. That's Adam saying, me too. I don't know. He could be saying amen. It's just going to keep coming. We go from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3, I believe it's verse 18, because our face is unveiled, we're no longer, Moses had to veil because of the glory that was shining on his face, that Israel couldn't bear to look at it. When you and I are intimate with God and when you and I possess the fear of the Lord, we're willing to draw near to a mountain that's under smoke and fire and lightning, but the Israelites weren't willing because they were terrified and didn't have the fear of the Lord in the right way. You've been hearing me talk about how this next move of God that's coming, which I believe is a greater glory than the glory the book of Acts walked in, 
Because it talks about in Haggai chapter 2, a little tiny chap, just a book, a prophet in the Old Testament that's like the third or fourth away from the end of the Old Testament, that's two chapters long, talks about the idea that the latter glory of the house is going to be greater than the former glory. And I believe that's true. I believe that's not just about a temple in Jerusalem. I believe it's about the people of God. I believe it's speaking prophetically for you and I. But some of you have maybe heard me talk about this before, but anytime the glory shows up, anytime God's presence is genuinely there, anytime light is available, everything's exposed. So the greater the glory of God, the swifter his judgment falls. And I know we don't like talking about these topics, and people say, well, God's not judging anymore. But if you read, if you read in the Bible and you look at the Garden of Eden, This is what happens every time. There's a pattern in Scripture. God's voice goes forth, and this is what I believe. Now I'm really stirred up. I believe, some of you have heard me say this before, I'm in the midst of writing my my third book. That's why this is very fresh in my mind, and then we'll get into the Scriptures where I want to go. God's voice goes forth, divine order is established, glory comes, then judgment happens every time. When the glory is violated. When the glory is not taken seriously. If you want me to be honest with you, I believe if we had a greater reverence for God, we would experience more glory in our services. I believe that. If we genuinely possess the true, raw fear of God, and and I'm not talking about being afraid of Him. I'm talking about, I mean, honestly guys, the beginning of the fear of the Lord is He's God. You're not. He's not just Jesus, friend of sinners. He's king of kings, lord of lords. He's the name above every name. And regardless if people bow to it or not, one day they're all going to. So God's voice goes forth. God creates something out of nothing. All of a sudden there's light and there's the the earth and there's worlds and there's animals and there's plants and Seeds and all these different things bearing fruit after their kind. His word goes forth. Order is brought out of chaos. The glory of God is released on the earth. Adam and Eve are clothed in the glory of God. But when they sin, boom, judgment happens. And I believe one of the reasons we're not seeing swifter judgment in the earth is because like in the days of Samuel, the word of the Lord is rare in our time. That's why Samuel's kids were getting away with sleeping with girls out in front of the tent and all these different things and not being reverent with the offering. Here's another example. Moses, construct the tabernacle in this way. He does it to specification, guys. He gets these different skilled workers and they do it in linen and colors and bronze and silver and gold. When the temple is created... The word of God goes forth, not the temple, the ten of meetings created. They offer up sacrifice, glory comes down, does it not? Consumes the sacrifice, but Aaron's sons bring an irreverent offering. What happens? Fire comes out and consumes them. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, he's more than just loving, too. You know what Aaron's, you know what Moses' consolation was to his brother? It sounds like, guys, 
He didn't wrap his arm around his brother and say, I'm sorry that my nephews and your sons died. He said, did you not remember what God said that he would be approached with reverence? That's what he said. It's in Leviticus 10. Come on, man, we're going to get to Leviticus today. That's the one book in my Bible that has absolutely zero highlights in it, probably. How many times do people read that? Solomon, I want you to build this temple. Not you, David. You're a man of bloodshed. Your son will do it. Builds it to specification. They dedicate the temple. The glory comes. The ministers can't stand. But because of their sin, they're cast into Babylon. Did that happen? Jesus, the word becomes flesh, shows up. The word of God goes forth in flesh. Makes all things right. Dies on the cross to forgive sin. Makes a way. Glory comes. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 5. Very similar to Leviticus chapter 10. These two people, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property. They lie to the Holy Spirit. They keep a little bit of money back for themselves. What happens? They drop over dead. The greater the glory of God, the swifter things are going to happen. The greater the glory, the greater the trembling. I said it before, I'll say it again. Before God comes for his church, he's coming to his church. The whole reason he's going to do that is to make a people ready. For a wedding, not for an escape plan. And you and I have an opportunity now. This is the heart cry of the book that I'm writing. We don't have to wait for that glory to show up that's going to possess the fear of God. You and I have an opportunity right now to get our life right so when that glory comes, and I can't tell you the exact time, I do know this. The second day is ending and the third day is dawning. Let me explain that. When, when Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt, which is a symbol, guys, of, of you and I being delivered out of bondage and out of sin, being brought into the promised land, which, which is a, Moses is a Jesus-type figure. The promised land is our inheritance in the saints. There's a baptism that they go through, through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts, and the sea collapses and consumes their adversaries. Do you know the story? Before they go to the promised land, so here's the whole thing. Before God gets you your promise, and see, that's the thing, man. Like, I believe you and I are going to be confronted with a lot of different stuff, boy. The greatest thing, you've heard me talk about this before, the greatest thing God is after, man. God, listen, a lot of times we deal with sin on the elementary level. God's wanting to deal with it on the PhD level. Not just anger and jealousy and immorality. What's in your heart? What makes you tick? It's not, just, it's not just outbursts of anger. It's obedience and disobedience. Whether I obey or I don't. When I know the right thing to do and I don't do it. There's a story, plain and simple. Jesus tells this, this story about, and I'll come back to the, the Israelites. Jesus tells this story about these, these two brothers and a father. The father says to the one son, I want you to go out and do this. And the son says, yeah, I'll do it. But he never does it. And then another that says, I'm not going to do it, but later has regret in his heart and goes and does. And then he asks the Pharisees, who did the will of God? And it was the second one. Not the one who said it with his mouth. 
but the one who did it with his life. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Man, I feel this. I'm not angry. You guys know I'm not angry, right? Very excited. I'm very passionate. I've been paying more attention to the harder sayings of Jesus than the lighter ones. He is going to come back one day, and I'm very concerned about what he's going to find me doing. You're not going to just be held accountable. If you read this, the parable about being a good steward, you're not just held accountable for your gifts and your talents. Even that should put the fear of God in us. What am I doing with what I have? Am I spending it on me? I will tell you, I will tell you one of the things that he's going to do. He will not share his glory with anybody. It is not about a big name. Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. God said to me one day, it's the greatest prayer ever prayed in the Bible. John 12. Jesus wasn't even about his own name. And he had every right to be in the form, in the equality. He was in equality with God, but made himself of no reputation. A lot of us, myself included, if I'm not careful, can be very concerned about my reputation. Um, there are so many scriptures now that I feel are so prophetic, Philippians 2 being one of them, have this attitude that was also in Christ. Who though, although he was in equality with God, did not consider that a thing to be, he never used that for his advantage. But man, guys, you know what it says about Jesus? He offered up his prayers with loud cries and supplication, and he was heard by his father because of his piety. And if you study out the word piety, it's because of his reverential fear. Disciples came and asked him, teach us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's he saying? Hallowed be your name. You come with reverence and trembling, not just he's my buddy Christ. He is that. Don't misunderstand me. But we have to get a picture of Jesus that has systematic theology in play, a total view of God throughout the whole scripture. Not just this, this one little tiny aspect of Jesus. You're not just going to be held accountable for your gifts and your talents. You're going to be held accountable for your revelation knowledge and what you did with it. The Pharisees said they, they, they thought they knew a whole lot. And study to show yourself approved, like Paul's writing to Timothy, is not, well, study your Bible and God approves of you. And that's not what it means. It means study it so that you live it out. You're not just a hearer, you're a doer. I don't want to be impressed by my knowledge. Guys, if I could tell you something, humility is going to come majorly upon the church where we humble ourselves and say, dear God, like I say so much with my mouth, I do so little with my life. I say I believe so much, guys. The Lord quickened my heart in 2013. He hasn't given it to me yet, but I feel like I'm being brought back to it. And I'm serious when I say this, like I would love to understand and have a revelation of hellfire. I don't have it. I wish I did. I know people are going there, but you think we'd be a little bit more concerned, or is it just a doctrinal theory? Even with the whole do not worry thing, which I was going to preach on today, like we say we believe and we trust, but if we're honest, we have nothing but contingency plans in place. Well, if he doesn't come through, then at least I have this. And 
There's a lot of things I'm questioning in my life right now that I'm not going to share with you because I don't want anybody feeling condemned and like, oh my gosh, I don't have faith. But I mean like, questioning where some of my money goes sometimes and into what? A case of what? Do I really trust him or don't I? It says, don't look, don't worry about your life. There it is. There's the title of it in the bulletin. Don't worry about your life. What a statement. I'm not perfect there, but man, I, I'm spending time in that place. I'm like, don't worry about your life. Wow. About what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and what you're... Listen he's, listen, he's taking care of, he's wiping out of the equation every physical need you could ever want. And he says this, is not life more than those things? Is not life more than what you're concerned about? In other words, isn't, doesn't life have substance to it? He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither rust or moth can destroy. You know why? It's not so bad about what you have, but when what you have has you, that's the problem. When you're so worried about what's going to happen to your stuff, that's your master. And he said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about money and God. And if you're worried about money, I'm going to tell you something, you're not going to like it, that's your God. What you worry about is what you worship. And he's saying, look at the birds of the air. Man, I was doing that this morning. I was outside with my Rottweiler puppy. We were hanging out, and he's so doppy. Look, he's so clumsy now. He's like all tall and like gangly. He can't walk right. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this robin in my front yard, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you, you feed them. You say that. You feed them. They don't, they're not worried. I've never seen a worrying bird. I've never seen it. <laughs> but we act like that. Do you see what I mean? We say so much this way, but we... And in the context of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which probably could be considered the greatest sermon that's ever been spoken and given... The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a wise man who builds his house on the words that God has spoken. It's not just the context of Matthew 7. He's talking about 5, 6, and 7. The wise man is the one who hears and obeys. You know what part of that is? That you don't worry about your life. That's wisdom. Because when you worry, you'll serve the God of what you think will meet that need. And you can't serve two masters. Because you'll love one and you'll hate the other. See, we laugh all the time. We, we laugh at the Israelites that they went and they worshipped Baal and all this stuff. Baal, honestly, in today's terms, is money, basically. And it's not just the rich that are concerned about it. Show me one beggar who doesn't have a love of money in them. That thing needs to get out of people. So God told you to come back to the Israelites. So God brings Israel out of Egypt. Not to their promised first, but to first meet with him. First, meet with God. And he tells Moses, consecrate the people two days. Wash their garments. I'm coming on the third day. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. 2 Peter 3.8. 
So Moses comes down, not Moses, God comes down on the mountain on the third day. And the people are freaked out. And this is, what, this is what Moses says. Don't be afraid. God has come in order to test you that his fear might remain in you. Now God will never test you because there's something he doesn't know about you. The test is always for you to find out what's in your heart. And you know what they found out that day? They didn't love God in the way they could have. And guys, can I tell you something? Doesn't matter if you see miracle signs and wonders, they saw more than you and I. Their worship services would have put ours to shame. And they still said, why? Because you can hide in an atmosphere of miracles. But when his glory comes, you're revealed. And you're either going to run to him or you're going to run from him. And they wanted to go back to where they were delivered from and the only one that could approach was the one who already had the fear of God in him. And the fear of God, it says in Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is for those that fear him. The fear of God actually results in intimacy. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. What's the knowledge? According to Proverbs 2, it's the knowledge of God. You know what happens when I fear him? I'll obey him. Here's another story for you. Abraham, sacrifice your son. It was a two-day journey. He got there on the third day to take his son up that mountain. Don't you think that's a lot of time to wonder if you heard from the Lord? You think he asked Sarah if that was cool? Sarah would have choked him out right there on the spot. Brazilian jiu-jitsu would have been invented right there on that day. Just rear naked choke. He would have been out like that. No, he didn't ask Sarah. It says early in the morning he rose and he went. That's more than just a story to me, man. That boy was everything to that father. Everything was riding on that kid. See? That's the thing. Some of you in the room, you could have been given words over your life, words over your future, words over dreams, words over your children. You know what I think we're going to come to find out? We're going to find out what we love more. Our dreams and destiny are him. We're going to find out if we love him because of what he can do for us or if we love him because of who he is and what he can make us. You know what I think? When we're willing to lay something down, we're ready to take it back up again. What happens if your dream never comes to pass? See, we have all these catchphrases, God is good. Yeah, he is good. What does that mean? He's never changing. He's completely faithful. What happens when some of your prayers don't get answered? Does he change? See, I'm different than most people. I think sometimes... God knows more what he's doing, and I think sometimes we think he's, he's only moving according to our prayer life. I think he has a plan sometimes. I'd rather trust him than try to figure it out. I'd rather be like Job, who, by the way, goes down. I hear this all the time. You know, we got to let go of the, 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 the theology of Job and embrace the theology of Jesus. I understand the statement, but Job is written about in James 5 and goes down and says, Remember Job, who said what? Though the Lord slays me, I, I will trust him. 
Consider him as an as a example of long-suffering and patience and endurance. And let me tell you something, that man was more blessed in the end. And I know God didn't do that to him. But he said, no matter what comes my way, I'll trust him anyway. That's awesome to me. So on the, every time, 11-11, I look up, there it is on the clock. So he's, Abraham is walking his son up this mountain. I, I can't imagine. The Bible doesn't tell you how old he is. Take your son, your only son. Bring him up. He's got two other guys walking with him. Abraham's got the knife. His son is carrying the wood on his back. Tells the two guys to remain at the base of the mountain. He climbs the mountain with his son. He gets up there. The son asks, Dad, where's, where's the offering? Where's the, where's the animal? Where's... Where's the bull? Where's the goat? Father says the Lord will provide. Now we don't realize till later on. By the way, Abraham didn't have the book of Genesis, so he didn't know how this was going to play out. We read later in Hebrews 11 that the whole reason why he's willing to do it because he believed that God could raise his son from the dead even though God had raised nobody from the dead yet. That tells me something. That tells me in a world where we have nothing but information at our fingertips, it doesn't mean that that is a substitute for relationship. I don't mean this to be harsh, but I said it the one day and somebody actually took it to heart. They were like, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. So I don't want you to feel like I'm I'm coming down on you. But some of us need to just stop watching sermons and go get alone with God. Abraham just walked with him. Had relationship with him. Had encounters with him. They aren't just reserved for Abraham. He's the father of us all. He's the father of faith. We're the ones that were the stars in the sky. We were the sand on the beach. We're here. We believe. Now we're here. He was given these promises. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have land. You're going to be blessed. That was a covenant God made with Abraham. And all of a sudden, it seems like this covenant's coming to a crashing halt because his son is on an altar and the knife is raised in the air and the angel cries out and says, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. And the angel says, stop, now I know that you fear the Lord. You know what? What if you were asked to lay something down and in that laying down you prove to yourself, the world, and everybody around you, you love him more than you love that thing? Though he slays me, I'll trust him still. Even though he put his son on the altar, it was never God's plan for him to kill that boy. But it was God's plan to get Isaac out of his father's heart. See, if we're not careful, anything can move in and take the throne that's only reserved for God. Anything. Anything. Money. What you're hoping for. What you're waiting for. Your children. Your spouse. Anything. And he said, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Meaning this, the number one reason I'm here, the number one reason is to make him feel like the most loved person on the planet. 
That's why I'm here first. The first and greatest commandment. And how do you do that? Not on your own strength. That's not going to happen. But when you get a revelation of Jesus and his love, absolutely. When you see that he's the very thing your heart's been wanting all this time, absolutely. That happened on the third day. The angel came. There's another story. story about a man named Lazarus. You guys have heard me talk about this many times in here. You're getting like a prophetic summary over the years of things I've talked about. God, the, the sisters of Lazarus send words to Jesus and tell, tell him that your friend that you love, that you care about, he's sick. And one day God spoke to me and said, Brian, he said, this, this story is an image, a prophetic sign, symbol, image of, of where the church is at. Everybody in the room could sit there and say, the church is sick and is in need of help. We need healed in a desperate way. We've lost our voice. We've lost the fear of God. We tolerate sin on an epic level. We're afraid to do the things the Bible tells us to do to deal with sin and confront it, if we're honest. We have pastors that are more concerned about the numbers and the money coming in than making a holy people and encouraging a holy people. We value performance sometimes more than the presence. Jesus, come quick, the one whom you love is sick. And it says he purposely waits two days. Now, either he's extremely insensitive or he knows what he's doing. Jesus says to his friends, his disciples, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to go and wake him up. And they're thinking to themselves, as I would be too, well, if he's sick, the best thing he could be doing is sleep and just let him alone. Then he has to plainly tell him he's dead. Death is never an issue for God. God takes one look at death and says it's sleeping. That's why he said of Jairus' daughter, she's just asleep. And they laughed at him. Can I tell you something? There's a faith that's going to come upon us in the church that the world's going to laugh at and say, you guys are nuts. But God's people are going to believe him. So Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb on the third day. Guys, I'd like to tell you that I, I purposely believe that that story was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. And he waits two days, and he shows up on the third, and Jesus comes and calls him Lazarus by name and tells him to come forth. And I believe that he's getting ready to wake us up as well out of slumber so we are more bright shining than we've ever been before. I believe the glory of God is going to do that. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these precious promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not the love of God. I wasn't even going to preach this sermon either, so I can't believe I'm on this right now. The fear of God is not archaic. It's not some Old Testament thing that I need to get a grip on. And don't you realize, brother, that perfect love casts out fear. God is not casting out of you what his son delighted in. Stop that. He's talking about the tormenting fear that Paul's writing to Timothy saying, God did not give you a spirit of fear. 
Isaiah 11.3 says that above everything else of the different variations, the spirits of God, Jesus delighted in the fear of God more than any other. Why? I believe that's, I believe, because it actually kept him from sin. He wouldn't even dream of sinning against his father when his food was to do the will of the one who sent him. He wouldn't dream of it. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the wicked tongue I hate, says the Lord. In other words, the fear of the Lord will get you to bite your tongue and not say the things that you want to say. I believe the more that we have, the more we're going to be held accountable for it. I believe that. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, not love and kindness. Although that's all important, so please don't misunderstand me. Not proposing one or the other, but like the Bible says, guys, in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 9, I believe, it's not just the kindness of God, it says the kindness and severity of God. I'm giving you New Testament verses. They went on in the fear of the Lord, the book of Acts. Great fear came upon them, and thousands were added to their number, book of Acts. As long as you're in the earth, 1 Peter 1, conduct yourself in fear. As long as you're in the earth. Ecclesiastes, I believe it ends this way. When all is said and done, the wisest man that ever lived, do not believe for a moment when people prophesy things like this, God is giving you the wisdom of Solomon. No, he's not. He was the wisest man that ever was and ever will be. Doesn't mean you can't walk in wisdom, but I hear these things out there. I'm just like, please stop. Let's be biblical. The wisest man that ever was, who started well and ended terribly, which is something we should pay attention to. And I'll tell you, if you read the Kings and Chronicles and these different history books in the Old Testament, Tons of kings started out well and then they ended terribly. And the number one reason is because they lost the fear of God and they stopped seeking his face. It's the number one reason. The greatest, the wisest man that ever lived said when all is said and done, when you sum up everything, and this man pursued everything. Real estate ventures. He built things. He had tons of wives. He pursued pleasure. Says he pursued wisdom more than any other person. And you know what he said? It was like chasing wind. You can't attain to it. It's all vanity. It all had me at the center of it. I believe this, guys. Man. I know he's been doing it in my life. Things in the heart are coming up to the surface. Things like pride and jealousy and envy and arrogance and all that stuff that the fire of God is going to come upon see what I was going to preach on this morning and I didn't get to it I'm not going to get to it wasn't do not worry I'll talk a little bit about it now just because I have time but I'm not looking to preach just to fill time but the greatest man what wisest man that ever lived said when it's all said and done this applies to every person Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he said. This applies to every person, not just the Jew. 
what I was going to talk about, and I, I, I believe with all my heart that the most central figure, the most prominent person that I believe that, that stands out to me the most, that I believe God is raising up types of this person. Because before the glory comes, I believe there's five stages the church is going to go through. This is what I'm writing about in my book. The first one's evangelism. The second one is awareness. The third one is repentance. The fourth is visitation. The fifth is understanding. And it's not the evangelist's job to evangelize the church. It's the prophet's job. And I think we've misunderstood the prophet. I think we've made him and her just somebody who gives popcorn prophecies, and I am not opposed to that, but the Lord has really had me pull back from some of that. Some of you probably noticed that. John the Baptist was a man anointed with the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah is anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes upon specific people. It wasn't in John's day, it was limited to, to John. It was also on Elijah, obviously. Just understand it. You have to study these two guys and their messages. But the spirit of Elijah's message is always a message of restoration that occurs through repentance that turns the heart of God's people back to himself. And I believe the greatest thing that God is going to confront in our day and time, in the times that are coming, is simply this. I'm on your lips, but your heart's far away from me. And you teach as doctrines the precepts of men. In other words, a lot of the things you talk about in the church have nothing to do with what my son revealed or what's written in the scripture. It has more to do on your understanding and what you've encountered or not encountered. And you've created doctrines that have nothing to do with the nature and character of God. But you're using it to explain things about why God doesn't do this anymore and why this and why that. And I believe we're going to see the true prophets of God rise up and confront things in the church, not because they're angry, but because they genuinely care and they don't want anybody to perish. And if you think for a moment that, sec- that eternity is secure for the Christian, you're wrong. John told the Pharisees that came to him, he said, the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and any tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and cast in the fire. And don't suppose that you can say, because we have Abraham as our, as our father, that you're exempt from that. I believe a way of understanding that today in our language would be, don't suppose just because you prayed a prayer that you're exempt from that. But what did he tell them? Bear fruit in accordance with keeping with repentance. What does he mean by that? If you really changed your mind about sin and if you really changed your mind about God and your life, we'll see it in your life. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but dear God, there should be something in you that says, I hate the sin that once entangled me. You know what I believe? When the church, when the church finally gets to the place where it hates sin the way that Jesus hated it, and if you think he didn't hate it, then you didn't read Hebrews chapter 1. He was anointed with the oil of gladness far above all of his companions because he loved righteousness and he hated sin. And one of the reasons why we don't see the anointing as much is because we tolerate sin more than we should.
And I understand it's the kindness of God to lead people to change, but what keeps you in that place of change? It's the fear of the Lord. First Peter 1 says one of the reasons why you should have the fear of the Lord is if you understand the price that you've been bought with. It wasn't with, imperishable, or it wasn't with perishable things, it was the imperishable blood of God. That should do something in you. Why would I want to violate that love? Why would I want to take what's been given to me and just trample it underfoot? Why would I want to treat that like pearls cast before swine? Now, John the Baptist types, the spirit of Elijah is God's alarm clock. It always shows up when the people of God are the furthest away from God. I'm not, I'm not talking about Praise Community Church. talking about churches that have settled for, and honestly I don't even think to no fault of their own but guys can I tell you something there's a white page between your Old and New Testament a white page blank 400 years of silence and God's answer to that is this wild man sometimes it comes in the way you don't expect it to come I know we think we're sophisticated and we are, but so were they in that day and time. With Roman and Greek influence, they were a sophisticated people. And all of a sudden, this guy shows up without a seminary degree, without a Bible college, without an endorsement letter from his pastor. He shows up as one formed alone in wilderness. Fed on the word of God, not just locusts and wild honey, because man's not going to live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he got his message when you weren't looking. The word of the Lord came to him when he was alone, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The only person in history written that, that says that about. The greatest born of woman, John the Baptist. I hear all the time, well, brother, man, hey, you know, those that are the least in the kingdom are greater than John. Then why aren't we doing what John did? Why are we just settling for like things we just get pumped about in theory, but then we don't live? He didn't perform any miracles, but he turned the heart of a nation back. He didn't raise a dead person like Leonard Ravenhill said. He raised a dead nation that was lost in ritual and tradition. And when the word of God is not there, it's ritual and tradition. That means 400 years without a prophetic voice. No word from God. None. Silence. Just sacrifice. That's what I was going to talk about today because I've never talked about it before. Not just the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but the baptism in fire. And I'll tell you this. I hear people say this too. Well, fire falls on sacrifice. Fire falls on accepted sacrifice. Not just any sacrifice. You can go through religious motions and call that sacrifice. And I'll tell you this. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me that's greater than I am. He stood in a cold Jordan River, but the one that was coming after him stood in a river of the Spirit and fire. It says in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision, 
And from the throne of God is a river of fire. To be baptized in the spirit and fire is to be baptized into God because he is fire. Jesus made a comment in Mark chapter 9. He said, every single person will be seasoned or salted with fire. For the believer, that's refinement. For the non-believer, that's hellfire. That's the fire you and I don't want. And if you study letters like Peter and Jude, it talks about believers who went on willfully sinning, the black darkness is reserved for them, not just the darkness. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. And it says this, people, people, I'm sure you've may have heard people say this. Well, John, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, yet Mark's gospel begins this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it starts with John. Because I believe the greatest message in that day was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I believe the greatest message today is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was his job? To make ready a people to receive the Lord when he shows up. What do we need right now? People and prophets going out, making a people ready for when the Lord returns. And that's coming quicker than we realize. Because I believe the second day is ending and the third day is dawning. And I believe a divine visitation is coming. But it's not before God raises up prophetic voices that go into his church that turn the hearts of God's people in awareness back to him and when they repent, that's always, always when the rain falls. That's when God heals land. But we need to let go of our arrogance and our pride and our knowledge and all the things we think we know that we don't live. And humble ourselves and be like a Hannah that says, oh my gosh, I'm barren. God, open my womb. I have the knowledge that I shouldn't be pregnant, but I'm still not pregnant. I have the knowledge that all these things can happen, but it's still not happening in my life. No, when she humbled herself and sought the Lord, the one who had closed her womb was the one who opened it. And I still believe with all my heart, that's why God named my girls what he named them. Because it's only in Shiloh that Hannah would go, that God would open up her womb, and it's only in our prayer closet that we'll go that you and I will become pregnant with what God wants to release. But the only way the barren womb becomes fruitful is through prayer. It's through intimacy with God, not knowledge. Knowledge leads you to encounter, amen. But John said, there's one coming after me whose sandal I'm unfit to untie, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. I talk a lot about the baptism of the Spirit. I've never talked about the baptism of fire. And if you want me to be truthful, I don't think I have it. The baptism of the Spirit, according to Acts 1.8, is the baptism of power. To demonstrate signs and wonders and testify in boldness the gospel message and to be able to go through persecution unlike any other and stand firm. Hey, that was an email. 
But the baptism of fire, I believe, is something that's completely different. I've been reading some testimonies of different saints, guys and women that I would look up to that record this experience, and some called a deeper level of sanctification. Some of them didn't know how to put words to it. But the bottom line is when it came upon them, they felt like they were being burned alive. We see in Acts chapter 2, there were tongues as of fire that came upon the disciples' heads. I would always look at that and be like, well, that's why they spoke in tongues. That's not necessarily what that means or what that is. They were baptized in the Spirit and fire in one moment. We talk a lot in the charismatic church about the baptism of the Spirit. We pray for the baptism of the Spirit. We don't talk a whole lot about the baptism of fire, nor do we pray a whole lot for the baptism of fire. But the baptism of fire, I believe, is a baptism into God's holiness. I believe it's a purification that comes upon a believer and burns out every single impurity that doesn't belong, makes the genuine better, because John also said that Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather up his wheat in the barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, I know that's a statement about the end, but I also believe it's a statement about what the fire does in mine and your life. It will burn up what doesn't belong there. It'll cause you to burn with fiery passion, burn with the love of God, burn in such a way that it would be undeniable and unrecognizable. I'm going to end with this. I made a statement. It's not just sacrifice that's accepted. Not every sacrifice is accepted. The very first offering we read about in the scripture is the burnt offering that Noah offers to God after the, the flood subsides and he comes out and he takes the firstlings of the different animals, and he offers them up as a burnt offering to God. And it says the aroma pleased the Lord, and it was at that moment that the Lord said, I'm no longer going to curse the ground on account of man, and I'll never again destroy any other living creature. And he put a rainbow in the sky as a testimony of the covenant that he has made with mankind, that he will never flood the earth again. The second time we read about a burnt offering is when God asks Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. When you study the law of the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1, it says this, that any, when any man brings an offering to the Lord, when any man brings this particular offering, which means it can be any person at any time, it wasn't regulated to just a ritual or a season or a specific time. There's five different offerings that Israel would offer. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the guilt offering, the sin offering. And there's another one, I can't remember the burnt offering, I guess, the one I'm talking about. When the person offering the sacrifice would come, it had to be the best of what they had. It was cut up into pieces. It was put on the altar, and it was the priest's job to keep that fire burning constantly. There's all kinds of prophetic symbolism in here. 
The offering had to be pure. We see this in the life of Jesus. The Father would not have offered Jesus' sacrifice on the cross if he didn't live the way he lived. Unstained, without blemish. Do you agree? Then sin came upon him and the sacrifice was made. Even Jesus himself was like the veil in temple. His body and his flesh were torn in the same way that the offering had to be cut up into different pieces. But here's, here's, the, here's the correlation that I want to make. It had to be the best. If you really want to see God move, and I'm going to pursue this to the best of my ability, because if there's a deeper level of sanctification with God, another experience with Him that I haven't had, that's going to cause me to look more like Him, then I want that. And Kendra, maybe that's what you were prophesying over me wherever you're at in here. You were giving me a word earlier this morning. Fire comes on a sacrifice that's not just limited to Sunday morning attendance. It's not just limited to... to Certain, here God, you can have these parts of me, but these parts are reserved for myself. The entire carcass was put on that altar. Cleaned, the skin stripped bare. Why? Because I believe that's a prophetic sign of the sin nature coming off you and I, crucified with Christ. At that point, we become acceptable, can offer our lives wholly devoted to the Lord. The burnt offering was a prophetic sign of being wholly devoted, laying everything down. Why was it cut up in pieces? I believe that you and I need to examine the different aspects and pieces of our life and have the Holy Spirit genuinely show us and reveal to us, do you actually have all of me? Do you have my eyes? Or do they still wonder with lust? Do you have my tongue or is it still filled with the poison of gossip? And criticism and judgment. Do you have my hands or is it all about me? Do you have my feet? Do you have my heart? Do you have my... I believe we need to invite the Holy Spirit to show us if He really deep down does have all of it. I read a testimony about a person that after he genuinely went... And some might say, that sounds way too introspective. You know, that's crazy. And The greatest saints in the Bible were more concerned with the root of the matter than the fruit of the matter. Some of these guys went to work with the Lord when nobody was looking. They wanted to be so pleasing to God that they invited the Holy Spirit to be a scalpel in His hand. Cut away anything you want to cut away. Show me anything that I need to, you need to show me. I read about some people that did that and examined their life and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the fire of God came on them and consumed their sacrifice, which Romans 12, 2 encourages us to lift and lay down our lives as a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. But what, how much does he have? Can I tell you something? This really isn't much of a sacrifice. This can be religious just like anything else. That money in the plate can be just as religious as anything else. 
our attendance can be about us more than it can be about him. Are we gathering to be encouraged and spurred on? Are we gathering to be entertained, hoping they play my favorite song today? Are we coming because Pastor Dan Moeller's here? By the way, he's not a huge fan of anyhow. He wants you to hear him, but like, he's not in it because of the attendance. But all that reveals, if we're honest, most of the time we're worshiping a person. Heather, you did an awesome job, man. Come on, man. That's beautiful in the background. I can use that in my alone time, in my prayer time. We covered a lot of ground this morning. I hope something stuck. <laughs> but I want to know what this baptism of fire thing is all about. He's the only God that answers by fire. And when the sacrifice is prepared, that's when the fire comes and consumes it. It's the law of the burnt offering, Leviticus chapter 1. Not just some of it, not just a piece, but the whole thing. Every person is going to be salted with fire. I believe if you've been baptized with the Spirit, the baptism of fire may have happened to you simultaneously. I'm not sure. There are people out there that say a bunch of different things. There are people that will tell you it happens at the same time. There will be people that tell you it's a different experience than the first. All I know is that word end is a conjunction. The Holy Spirit end fire. Baptized in or with the Spirit end fire. And I believe it is a baptism of holiness because when God revealed himself to Moses in the form of a burning bush, he said, take your shoes off because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Fire is symbolic of God all throughout the Bible, of his jealousy, his love, his judgment, his presence. When they were in the wilderness walking around, the pillar of fire was there, and what did it do? It offered them light. When you and I walk in holiness and walk in the light as God is light, we will see right. When you walk in sin, you're blind. You're dark. I believe the baptism of fire illumines our soul, causes us to see, hear from the Lord. I believe holiness is not going to be a bad, dirty word in the church anymore that's not going to be associated with do this and don't do that. No. Out of a loving relationship with God, I want to please Him. And holiness is your best life. And we need to be better stewards of what we allow into our heart. Because make no mistake, you are what you eat. Trash in, trash out. And it will be evident in how you talk. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is turning hearts back. Getting rid of other lovers and idols. And I believe, I believe a baptism of fire is coming for the church. I believe we need it. Purity Holiness, purity and power, not one or the other, purity and power.
All right, it's in, it's over. I gotta get you guys out of here. Let's, let's have you guys stand up. Let's just take a minute or two and just, just pray. There's no, I'm not gonna call up the prophetic teams, not gonna call up the pastoral care teams. You have enough to chew on and think about. So let's just close our eyes wherever we're at. You don't have to put your hands out in front of you, but if you do, you're welcome to do that. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning on behalf of Praise Community Church. And I ask, Father, if we have not yet received this baptism of fire that John said Jesus would perform, the baptism in the Spirit and fire, then Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you would release a baptism of fire on this church that you would bring a greater purity to your bride. That we would offer not just the pieces of ourselves that we want to get rid of or we don't like or we know that are in need of repair, but that we would offer our whole selves, our entire being, our very heart, our eyes, our ears. Man, there's something to be said for that. Our mouth, our tongue, our hands, our feet, our passions, our desires our heart. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, in the same way that David did in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, that you would look upon us, that you would search us and know our heart and try our anxious thoughts and see if there be a hurtful way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. But I am praying that your fire would fall, that your fire would fall on this church, that we would have a hatred for sin, that we would have a no-tolerance policy for sin, that we would genuinely love your people the way that you love your people, that there'd be a leadership God that doesn't contain or have the fear of man but possesses the fear of the Lord, that you'd make this church ready for what it is that you're getting ready to do, that we would hear the word of the Lord in season, that we would have hearts that hear and eyes that see and ears that hear, that we would practice humility and that we would choose it, that we would humble ourselves before the Lord and seek your face. And turn from any wickedness, Father, if it be found in our life. And say, not just say things with our mouth, but that our heart would be genuinely close to you again. And I pray that it wouldn't wander. And I pray that you would receive this prayer, that you'd receive the hearts of the people here gathered, that you'd bless their 4th of July weekend. But Father, I pray that they'd be agitated by this message. I pray that they'd be changed by this message. I pray that there'd be a groaning in their heart from this message. I pray that they wouldn't just leave and, and have lunch. I pray that you would haunt them with this message. Yeah. I pray that you'd haunt me with this message. Let your fire fall. Let it consume us. Every bit of us. Let it burn what it needs to burn. Because Malachi said, you, you, God, are like a refiner's fire. Let it fall. Let there be refinement. The God who's a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who refines his people and makes them clean. 
That we wouldn't just be on the outside looking like everything's fine, but that you would do your deepest work inside, cleansing every motivation that drives our life, purifies every motivation that drives our life. And I just extend my hand over these people right now. I lift my hands over them, and I release blessing over them. I pray hunger over them, thirst over them, and agitation, God. In the name of Jesus, stirred up for you, zealous for you and good works, passionately in love with you, fully devoted to you, loving you with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. I bless you guys. In the name of Jesus and your family and your July 4th weekend, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Guys, have a beautiful, wonderful Sunday, July 4th weekend, and whether it's this one or the next, go grab your kiddos, and, uh, and we'll see you guys next time.